0: Värdens bästa Carlsson 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 Höj här kommer Carlsson 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 Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlsson spelar så bra som mig Carlsson 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 scores Carlsson Yeah Carlsson Värdens bästa Carlsson vackra spelar Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. And I've already mentioned it, I own him again in one of my keeper pools, but I say on one point because I want to include Brian in the intro. Anyways, my name is Dylan Dabrowski, with me as always,
1: Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I've been thinking of starting a league, like maybe with just myself. Is that possible? A one-person league? It'll be a Keeper League and I'll own Carlson. And that'll be my whole roster, just so I can be part of it again. I want to. I love
0: how you have a whole week to come up with your sort of opening little like chat thing you're going to say after I introduce you. And that's the best you came up with. But it's okay. Maybe next week you'll do better.
1: I'm too busy getting the goods for all the info that's to come on this show I've researched how, would you like to take time out of that, Elon, for me to come up with something <laughs> wittier and less in, and, and and leave people less informed by the end of the show, but more entertained in the first. That's like a player. Oh, my God. Who's calm down. Like first five games of the season, but then does nothing for the other 77.
0: Okay. This is going to be a very argumentative show, perhaps. (laughs) But yeah, like Brian said, we have a lot to get to. Lots of questions that we've gotten from Facebook and Twitter. A lot of players people are concerned about. We're going to go through all of them. I've also come up with some players on my own that I think might be interesting and that you might want to take a look into. Or Brian's going to tell us if he agrees with me that they might be worth adding or at least adding to watch lists. So we're going to get to everything. Before we do, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. No question about it articles all the time daily ramblings recapping the games from the previous night you got all your tools on frozen pools like starting goalies and and line combinations really it's the ultimate site you got to check it out dauberhockey.com okay brian i'm gonna start this week without juries which is a lot more fun than injuries we actually don't have too many injuries to report this week which is nice even though i guess to be fair there were some players who got injured but just not super fancy relevant ones but we do have some fancy relevant outjuries including justin schultz on pittsburgh he's back he was out for a little while but he's been back for two games now or three games now actually he had a goal in his return versus arizona one assist at nashville yesterday so that's two points in three games eight shots since returning not too shabby also, very interestingly, Justin Schultz has been getting a lot of power play time. It seems like he and Chris Latang are almost taking turns, Q being the top unit. And I don't think anyone predicted when they drafted Chris Latang this year, people were like, okay, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to take Chris Latang. I know he might get injured, but while he's playing, he's going to be the top power play quarterback. I don't think anyone was worried that Justin Schultz could take his spot. But here we are. We have had some patrons very, very concerned that Chris Latang might not even be the for sure top power play quarterback on pittsburgh so that's a concern but let's like take a look at chris letang so far he had two assists yesterday so he's plugging along with a very decent season 13 points in 19 games it's a 56 point pace which is good like really good for a defenseman not you know blowing us away but decent he also had a huge like 28 minutes of ice time yesterday anyways all that said brian does this whole power play situation concern you about Latang? does that plus his injury risk make you think now would be a good time to try to see what you can get for him in the trade market and then what about schultz is he a must add if he's in free agency
1: okay yeah so so Latang. for anyone who doesn't quite remember Latang did get Usurped while he was healthy last year on that top power play, and I didn't see it coming then, and that's why I didn't see Justin Schultz's early production from last season actually continuing. Uh, of course, Latang being injured helped Schultz continue producing for the rest of the season, but I'm not concerned about Latang being threatened by Justin Schultz. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be good. You go back to where Justin Schultz's run began last year, and you start counting Letang's points at the same time, and you'll find Letang with 22 points in 24 games while Schultz's run had already started, while he was already getting that deployment bump. That's outstanding and also so devastating at the same time, knowing how close Letang could have been to another outstanding season had he stayed healthy. Um, As for Justin Schultz, should you add him? Yes, you should. We talked about him going into the season as a player who should be drafted, like he should not be a free agent, coming out of your fantasy draft. Uh, him being involved in the Pens power play is, of course, a way to rack up points, especially for someone who is offensively capable. And uh, with a healthy Letang, uh, the, the only thing I want to add in is I'm just not sure that Schultz is going to see the 51 points that he got last year, but 40 seems like a reasonably safe bet. And of course, that goes up if Latang. Does get injured, or maybe when Latang does get injured, I'm knocking on wood right now.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you're saying that Schultz should be owned in all leagues. Like a 40-point defenseman is really good. And it sounds like you're sort of saying like, ah, don't worry about it with Chris Letang. I say with the injury risk already, and now with this deployment risk, I, I, I'm I'm taking a look at the trading block and see if I can maybe swap Letang for a more reliable defenseman or maybe a really good forward. But anyways, you do you. Okay, while we're on Pittsburgh, we brought him up quickly on Thursday's Mailbag Show. But Brian, I want to talk about him now on the show proper Wait, what? hang on. I okay. just need
1: to go back. You said you do you. What am I doing differently than you?
0: You said that you're not worried at all about Latang getting you served by Schultz, so you're not like looking to potentially try to trade him now before things go bad.
1: Right, because he had 22 points in 24 games. Like, there's there's enough points to go around for both him and Schultz. Well, yeah, but I mean, again, Chris Letang as a
0: 50-point defenseman is fine, but maybe you could still sell him as something higher. Like, if he's not the top power play defenseman, that's going to cost him some points. Don't tell me about a sample last year of 24 games as your whole justification for not being worried about Chris Letang if he loses top power play time.
1: That would be pretty bad. I think he's still better than a 50-point defenseman, even if he does occasionally. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be a permanent thing. If he does occasionally find himself off the quote-unquote top unit in Pittsburgh, he's still, I think he's still good for 55, maybe 60 if he stays healthy all season. All right, so that's good. But I, I still, I'm still, i just curious.
0: I'm not saying to give him away for a song here. I am saying like, I'm a little concerned as Latang owner, I okay. already would have been concerned that he's going to get injured. Now I'm additionally concerned that maybe the upside for points isn't as high as it would have been before. So it's just another reason to maybe try to sell him before it's too late. And that's, that's all I was meant to say, Brian, but I think you're giving great advice. Fair enough. Okay, now what I was about, was about to say is since we're on Pittsburgh, I want to bring up a guy who we brought up on the Mailbag Show, and I want to bring him up on the show proper. That is Sidney Crosby. What is going on with Sidney Crosby? We've been so concerned all season long about who's going to be playing with Crosby. We've been Gensel, Shiri, Hornquist, Russ. Like, oh, the lines keep changing. Oh, this guy's valuable if he plays with Crosby. If not, I'm not so sure. Anyways, we haven't actually taken a look at the centerman himself who is pointless in three games and has only three assists in his last 11 games. What? Like, how did this happen? He has 13 points in 19 games overall on the season. That is uh, are, okay. Listen to this. City crossing. He has a 56 point pace, 20 games into the year. So this is obviously concerning. Is this an obvious like ho-hum, bad luck, nothing to worry about situation? Go to the Crosby owner, make a lowball offer, see if you could steal him. Or is there actually something wrong under the hood here? Where is our reigning Rocket Richard winner at?
1: Crosby's on-ice shooting percentage is half of what it should be. His IPP is also down and his own even strength shooting percentage is like 10% behind where we'd expect it to be based on his career average just he's shooting under three percent at even strength which is not going to hold uh, there are a few other markers like there are that concern me uh, like there is a shot rate decline happening but not to the extent that it explains his recent goalless drought and the low point pace more than just what I already mentioned the individual shooting percentage bit the on-eye shooting percentage and the IPP Sidney Crosby is still good he is still much better than a 56 point player Buy low window is open okay well uh get your offers ready to your Sidney
0: Crosby owners tweeted us at Keepman Carlson let us know what you can get him for and maybe also tweet at us if you have a question because there's some top end players that I don't know if we would trade for him like we had a question about I think Tarasenko for Crosby in the Facebook group I think for you Brian Tarasenko for Crosby is a sure thing you'd take Crosby
1: I would. There was a goaltender downgrade involved. If I'm remembering properly, it was, I think, Darling to Laner, So that added a wrinkle. I was on the Crosby side, though.
0: Okay, let's go to another outjury. Kyle Palmieri returned to New Jersey after missing six games with a lower body injury. Five shots on goal on Thursday versus Edmonton. No points, but obviously that's a really good return. Power play goal on three shots yesterday versus Florida. He's actually playing today. New Jersey's playing Chicago. It's 4-2 after the first period. So a lot of goals so far. No points for Palmieri, but uh, we'll see if he can do something in the rest of the game. Anyway, like uh, the lines yesterday were Hall, Hesier, Palmieri. So Palmieri right back to the top line, top power play. Uh, Henrik Stafford, and Jesper Bratt made up line two. The top power play was a Hall, Henrik, Palmieri, Butcher, and Brian Boyle, actually. And side note, great moment for Brian Boyle when he scored his first goal on Thursday since being diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Wishing him all the best for sure. Nice to see this getting opportunity on the top power play. Anyway, overall, Brian, at this point, it kind of seems to me like... There's not really anyone active on New Jersey that's worth owning aside from Hall, Paul Mary, and maybe like Butcher and Shear in, in deeper leagues and obviously like Dynasty Leagues. Do you concur? Like, is there anyone else? Like, if people are still holding Jesper Brad or Miles Wood, who actually has a couple goals today, uh, you know, Adam Henrique, are they snoozing? Like, they sh- should they be looking to drop these guys at this point? Or is there someone else on New Jersey that I'm not thinking of? There is Marcus Johansson who's on the IR. So maybe he's worth holding because you could just stash him. But I mean, I'm not going to hold my breath even on him considering he had a goal and no assists in six games before he suffered his concussion.
1: Yeah, I do concur about your group of devils who are not worth owning and the few that are. Marcus Johansson, I'd actually really hoped for more from him. I was bummed when I didn't get him late in one of my leagues. Uh, Maybe there's still more to come. He's probably the best of the bunch who are currently not worth owning in New Jersey. And while we're talking about New Jersey, Elon, just quickly, will butcher... At two points in his last six games, only four shots on goal. Only one of those points was a power play point. And that's fine. Like, that's nothing to sound the alarm over yet. That's going to happen. But just a reminder that if he's not getting you those points, he's worth really nothing for your team in the meantime. So you want to keep an eye on him, especially in these slow stretches. You want to make sure that he is getting back on top of things before long. And while we're talking about New Jersey D, Damon Severson was a healthy scratch recently And then uh, his second game back, he scored a goal on three shots. Just mentioning for completion's sake, I'm not saying like he's about to challenge for Will Butcher's spot at all. Butcher seems to have made a good home for himself on that top unit yeah well
0: it's definitely something to watch for sure it's not as if you know he's will butcher he's not superman like he can be usurped potentially and damon severson did sign a contract in the offseason i'm sure if he was benched it was to you know quote-unquote teach him a lesson and we'll be talking about mitch marner later and how maybe being taught a lesson has helped his game so yeah i'd keep an eye on that situation uh we also have paul b in the chat room saying that he had such high hopes for pavel zaka he's another one who got benched so we'll see if maybe he could get back to the top six at some point right now it doesn't seem worth owning okay another outjury. this one like i actually don't care about that much Louis erickson returned to the Canucks yesterday for their 5 nothing loss to San Jose. He had five shots. So that's pretty good. He played with the Sedins, which normally I would say is a good thing, but it seems at this point that's not even a big deal anymore. Is Louis Erickson on your radar at all? Like, is he literally on any of your watch lists in any of your leagues?
1: I actually was surprised as I was going deeper into one of my watch lists today uh to see yeah i had put him there so he is on my radar but more as an occasional streamer he's someone with a chance at getting shots on goal and a point here and there along with power play time keep in mind he only had two shots over three games before going on the shelf and then he had that five shots uh when he came back which is a big departure from that so i'll have to watch what he does over the next few games to get a better sense of what we can expect from him if we do stream him in or add him to our roster in a deeper league He also is, by the way, a linemate upgrade for the Sedins. um, The game most recently, before he rejoined the team, they were playing with Jake Vertanen. And uh, Louis Erickson should do better there. So we'll see if that line can get something going.
0: Yeah, I guess the Sedins will hopefully get some more ice time. They were, at some points like playing like eight, nine minutes in one of the games I saw. So it'll be interesting to see. It's kind of sad if a great pair of players like this just goes out without doing much in their last seasons. I hope he does something to help them okay brian uh, alex edler also returned for, for completion sake like you said about severson uh seems to be sharing power play time with delzato hutton Pouliot. anyway like a lot of the canucks that were exciting to us earlier are really letting their owners down now. Like this team is not doing well lately. Brock Besser just won assist in his last four games since his big hat trick five games ago versus Pittsburgh. Uh, Michael Delzato has two points in his last 10 games. After that really nice run he had in mid-October, he was looking really good. Like he was getting peripherals. He was getting a ton of shots. He was getting points. Now Michael Delzato seems probably drop worthy. It kind of seems like Bo Horvat is the only Canuck producing consistently right now. He's pointless in two, but they were in like five nothing and four one. Losses, so no one got points in those games, but he was on a great run before that. What do you think about guys like Besser and Delzato moving forward for this season? Like, I, I guess I'm grouping them together, they're not the same player by any stretch of the imagination. But like, uh, can we expect Brock Besser and Michael Delzato to kind of be up and down all year? Or can we still expect like someone like Brock Besser? A lot of people were saying when he was going on this great run, like he should be good for at least 50 points, upside for more. Do you still see him as that, or have we like, learned in the past few games that maybe he's not going to be able to put up enough consistent production to get, like, above, you know, much above a half-point-per-game pace than, like, Michael Del Like, same thing. Like, I was thinking he should be a solid 30- 30 to 35-point defenseman with solid peripherals. Is that also something that maybe
1: I need to scale back my opinion of him? Well, while the bigger Vancouver homers were already handing Besser the Calder Trophy, yeah, this is going to happen in his first full season in the league. I'm still into Brock Besser being able to produce at a 50-point pace or thereabouts, And I'm hopeful that Delzato can still fill the role that he was filling for your team when things were going well. Watch his minutes, though. Uh, He had been in the mid-20s all year, but he's been down two to four minutes uh, of ice time in his last three games. And that's a trend that would, of course, hurt his opportunity to gather peripherals if that was to continue. So if you do have Delzato and you're not ready to give up yet, you just want to see those minutes come back. And if they do, you want to see those peripherals come back. He's certainly not a sure thing The whole way through though so if he was originally a streamer for you and there are some reasonable defensive replacement options available to you for free right now consider streaming him back out until you see things going well for him again
0: yeah it doesn't seem like the market for michael delzotto will be really huge in free agency right now i dropped him in my tier one cupful league i'm always afraid to like say strategy stuff on here or, and actually i'm in mean, tier two i don't know why i just said that but yeah i dropped him in the cupful keeping carl's ultimate patron fantasy league and uh yeah no one added him yet for what it's worth okay uh another outjury yarmer yager returned to the flames speaking of players who i would like for them to have a good final year in the nhl i don't know if the sedins have actually said that this is going to be their last season it feels like it <laughs> from the way things have been going but it was yarmer yager return nothing versus vancouver but then he put up a goal and an assist versus detroit on thursday so that's great calgary hasn't played since actually hard to get too excited though about Yarmir yager since he's been playing on line three with sam bannett and mark jankowski so nice to see him getting a goal but i wouldn't be jumping to add him brian you can let me know if you disagree the guy on calgary who i am excited about and i do think people should consider adding is michael furland he has been playing on the top line and the top power play in Calgary with Goudreau and Monahan, and Goudreau and Monaghan have been on fire lately and Furlan has been keeping up he has six points in his last six games 20 shots on goal in that span no power play points even though he's been on that top unit or at least he was in the last game along with Versteeg and Brody and then Goudreau and Monahan. so maybe even we could expect a power play point sprinkled in every now and then is Michael Furland someone people should be looking to stream right now is he someone who has ever been considered as having offensive upside and I like, does it even matter if he's playing with two blue chippers in Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan?
1: Remember that Furland was also the guy on that top line for the final quarter of last season. And you didn't get much accomplished while he was there in that stretch. Small bursts uh, made for a reasonable streamer, but was less than a half point per game player and less than two shots on goal per game player on the whole. Uh, it's great to see him clicking even more on that top line this year and I'm interested to see if those scoring chances can last that he is getting above some of those high-end names but until I'm convinced I- I'll probably give him no more than a half point per game pace which is good considering who he'd be not on that top line I guess if you're the type who was into Brian Rust uh, Michael Furland seems to be in a pretty similar situation though I do think Furland has a better chance of sticking where he's at for longer than Rust usually does
0: yeah, like when you say half point per game pace for Michael Furland, I almost feel like I don't really care that much about his like rest of season pace that we can expect. Like I'm looking at him as someone like, should I add him for next week, you know, and then like reassess after that, like Calgary plays Monday, Wednesday. So I'm going to bring up a bunch of guys actually in this episode who we haven't mentioned for a very long time, if ever, on keeping Carlson. So maybe we could keep like a running tally of who we like best of these guys who are probably available in FA and who are doing pretty well right now. Michael Furland. Looking good. Good situation. And he's producing. What more can you ask for in a short-term streamer? But yeah, I agree with you. I don't see, like, long-term upside. Someone that you're going to add and then keep on your roster for the whole rest of the year, and he'll be your playoff MVP by the time this is all said and done. Okay, someone who is known, though, for having offensive upside but hasn't been doing much of anything points-wise lately is Dougie Hamilton over on Calgary. He only has one point in his last seven games after he started the year with six points in his first nine. After putting up 50 points last year at age 23, it seemed like the sky was the limit for Hamilton. Like, I was really excited about him going into this year. I thought maybe he could finally bump Brody from the top power play, and like, who knew what could happen? Now we've been getting questions from our patrons and on Twitter asking if Hamilton could be dropped in some leagues. So what is going on with Dougie Hamilton was last year's career year a fluke, or do you expect a bounce back in the near future for him?
1: Uh, I was not a fluke. You can expect a bounce back. I think he's going to do better than he's doing right now. His even strength uh, shot rates, his shot attempt rates, and scoring chance rates are actually all up this year. And of course, his shooting percentage is down, which is why those rates have not translated to, uh, well, points that don't make you question whether last year was a fluke I think he should be reliable for more than 40 points and still a good shot at 45. And that is staying still sort of conservative on him, mostly because we can't expect that power play time upgrade as long as Brody continues his love affair with the top power play unit. Uh, But Hamilton is talented enough to meet the challenge of still being a legit blue line producer in less than ideal deployment, even if he is missing out on that top unit time.
0: All right, Brian. So one more in this outjury section. Actually, not really an outjury, but someone who has been called up. It's just like an outjury. Jesse Pugliarvi was called up by Edmonton. Finally, he played his first game of the year yesterday on line two with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Milan Lucic yesterday versus the Rangers. He's also playing today, later on, or I guess that game has already started, but I don't think he's done anything yet. Anyway, he had a really nice start to his season. He potted a goal. He put up five shots. So pretty good start for Jesse Pugliarvi. And obviously some people are excited. In my Cupful division, we do fab bidding for free agents. So every day there's an auction of people can bid on free agents they want to add. And Pugliarvi went for $15 of the $100 budget today. I was very surprised to see that. Makes me wonder, what can you expect from Jesse Pugliarvi moving forward? Can we be into him even if he's not on the McDavid line or on power play one like normally on Edmonton's like if they're not on that top line it's like ah, eh, they might be okay but I wouldn't expect much but people are jumping on him even though he wasn't on line one or power play one
1: yeah he only went for three dollars in Sweden in the tier one of the cup full so a bit of a difference there I wonder how much needed to be bid in tier two uh, here's a funny fact about Pugliarvi last year scored in his first game of the season it was the season opener uh, that was exciting uh, then he didn't score another goal in the remaining 27 games he played. That was his lone goal from last season. So here we are again. Paul this year, scores in the first game of the season, and we'll see what the next 27 games will bring if he's still with the big team. I'm not getting my hopes up too high. He didn't really push his way up uh, to get onto the Oilers roster. He's really just getting in there because of an injury and some thin organizational depth on the wings. He's not lighting up the AHL at all. He has just a goal and four assists for five points in 10 games with Bakersfield so far. And the deployment, like you said, Elon, is certainly less than desirable for Poole A big drop from McDavid's line to anywhere else in the lineup in Edmonton, of course, though it's nice that he gets to play with Ryan Nugent and Hopkins That is the second best place to be. So I am going to stay cool to him, as you might have been able to figure out. I'm not ruling out that Puliyarvi could be a star. I'm just not yet sure that this is his spot or time to be shining. Yeah, and also being a
0: star, it's like people just want him to be fantasy relevant, I think, at this point, if you add him to your team, considering what he was like last year. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I was kind of surprised to see him go for so much as well. So, okay, here's a comparison for you. Another player who went for a lot of money yesterday in my couple division was... Alex Dabrinkit, he had himself a game for the Blackhawks, putting up two goals and one assist on two shots. So he scored on both of his shots. One of his goals was on the power play. He seemed to be moved up to the Patrick Kane line at some point. And actually, Chicago has started playing today. They're actually 4-4 now with New Jersey. This is a crazy game. And Dabrinkit has a goal again today. He went for $5 in like a couple division today. So he's a guy, just like Jesse Pugliarvi, people were really excited about, you know, in the offseason. Maybe he was picked as a late draft pick, you know, for Pugliarvi, you know, before he ended up not making the team. And then kind of disappointed, Like Alex Dabrinkit, people were really excited that he would be playing with Patrick Kane and then he ended up getting dropped down. He didn't really do anything. Now he seems to be on a nice run. Is it time for people to get excited about Alex Dabrinkit and who would you rather have between him and Pooley if you could only have one of them?
1: Well, for context, uh, Dabrinkit went for $5 in my tier of the cupful, which is $2 more than Pooley went for. Between the two, I will take Dabrinkit. For the next week and for the rest of the season, because, well, I already mentioned, I don't know that Poliarvi sticks. And I also think there's a better chance that Debrinkit finds himself in good deployment as he did yesterday. And as he continues to today with another goal tonight against New Jersey.
0: By the way, I would really like Keith Kincaid to get the win today. So just throwing that out there to the world. The People listening to this podcast will know whether or not I got my wish or not. It's 4-4 right now, but thankfully Kincaid hasn't been pulled. I don't care about the save percentage. Just need the win. Okay, since we're on Chicago, uh, one last thing before we move on outside of outries. This isn't even about an outry, but we were talking about Lee Harvey, and then we switched to Brinkett. Now I want to ask you about another player on Chicago. Patron Anthony asked us to talk about Duncan Keith. You know, this is like a Crosby situation. Like we brought up Franzen stealing power play time from Seabrook last week. And by the way, neither has done anything for a long while now. So Franzen and Seabrook, not too into them. But we already talked about them last week. We didn't actually mention that the main power play guy, Duncan Keith, he's having quite the down year himself. He only has one point in his last eight games, eight points in 18 games overall on the year. This is after a 53-point season last year and a similar pace the year before. You know, Doug and Keith, he's 34 years old. Should we have maybe seen this coming? Are we perhaps done with him being a high 40s into the 50s type of player? Like, I'm curious, Brad, what are you expecting from him moving forward? Should his owners
1: be panicking or is it by low time? Well, first, we should mention as another update from last week that Seabrook and Keith were together on the top unit again in the game Saturday I haven't checked the lines yet for tonight's game, but just as I suggested would happen in the face of your crowning Cody Franson as their new Power Play 1 quarterback. I did not do that. <laughs> I said, you, said, you said Seabrook is over. He is. That's unrelated. <laughs> well, part of Seabrook being over means that he's not playing on that top unit anymore because well, he's been replaced by Cody Franson.
0: Well, he's also just over because he, he isn't even getting points on the top unit. But anyways, okay, get into yeah. it then. Seabrook... Seabrook- I no said one, that Ben Sieber. I think, it's going to be more like a 25, 30-point guy this year. So we'll see if that happens. You still
1: see him as like a potential 35, 40-point guy. He's not putting up any points lately, Brian. No one in Chicago is putting up points lately. It's really nice that they got to face the New Jersey Devils and Keith Kincaid tonight, who sometimes are stingy, but tonight are not being that way. Uh, Keith, it's been really rough for him. It's been that way for every Chicago player outside of Patrick Kane. Jonathan Tays is the only other Blackhawks who presently be pacing above 50 points for the full season. One big issue in Chicago that's keeping these guys from getting their points is that their power play has stunk. They rank 30th in the league in power play conversion rate, cashing in on just 12% of their chances with the man advantage compared to the league average of about 18%. And even worse, Chicago really doesn't deserve to be much better than that. Uh, They have logged the 28th best rate of expected goals for per 60 minutes on the power play too. So something needs to be fixed, especially since they're spending a ton of time on the power play. They lead the league in power play time on ice per game. Although uh, if you really think about it, that's probably just a function of them never ever cashing in on their power play time more than anything else. Another reason Chicago might not be getting points for their players, uh, they're also spending the sixth most time on the penalty kill in the league. So that's not helping anyone score points either. I am confident that Duncan Keith is going to bounce back with the Chicago power play, which I have to imagine is going to be figured out at some point. This coaching staff has made it through a lot of challenges. I can't see them being this bad for another 60 games. And part of this is also me really just hoping so, because I bet on a quiet 50 point upside from Duck and Keith in two of my key leagues. And I'm just really, really nervous that it's not going to come. So, Brian,
0: I got to ask you one thing that you didn't uh, mention or, you know, respond to when saying that you're not too concerned about Duncan Keith. uh, I mentioned he's 34 years old. Is there anything there? Like at some point, these old players have to start getting worse and eventually, you know, not be good anymore and then retire or get bumped or something like Duncan Keith is, is an old guy. But I guess at the same time, he did well last year. He's only one year
1: older from last year. Well, that's it. you look at what he was able to do last year, 53 points, and maybe that was a little higher than it should have been but the year before he had 43 points in 67 games he's been consistently a 45 50 point guy for him to suddenly drop down to like in danger of being sub 40 unlikely in my opinion so I still think he's going to find his way back up to a 45 to 50 point pace again I admit that part of that is tainted by hope but I found enough evidence to back me up although my evidence is really just the Blackhawks have to figure out their power play right I
0: guess you would think so. They do have Patrick Kane, who is supposed to be a very, and not supposed to be, has proven to be a very dynamic offensive player. Question in the chat room from Paul asking, hope for Schmaltz? I think so. He's playing with Patrick Kane though he's uh, let me down a lot this season I guess he's gotten a few points lately also just checking the lines right now for what they've been running so far like halfway through this game against New Jersey and DeBrinken is actually not playing with Patrick Kane he's on a line with uh, Nisimov and Hayden but it looks like things are shuffling around again so anyways let's wait till the end of the game and see what how things shake out okay Brian that was such a piece of fiction by the way when you said that I crowned Cody Franzen as the top power but I totally didn't like check the tape yeah I've implored listeners to check the tape I never said that that Cody Franzen is now like for sure the top power play defense you called him the next, you called him the next Justin Schultz. I don't think I did. Okay, Brian, before we move on, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor for this week's episode, and those are our friends over at FanDuel Daily Fantasy Hockey, Brian. It's the place to be. It's so much fun. You know, we draft our teams at the beginning of the year, then you wring your your hair, you wring your hands, you're, you're so frustrated that you drafted Duncan Keith, and he's done nothing for you, and you hope, and you come, oh, this power play, they have to do better soon at some point. When you're playing Daily Fantasy on FanDuel, you don't have to worry about having messed up by drafting duncan keith because you could grab new defensemen every single time you play it's fancy hockey for everyday fans new contest starting everyday play whenever you want something for everyone lots of contests to choose from starting at just one dollar just pick a contest choose your team watch your score real time it's a lot of fun we have our weekly fan duel listener league going we've had like five or six weeks now at this point I started really well. Lately, I have not been doing very well. I once again lost. You once again beat me last week, but neither of us did as well as Tfan 5211 who destroyed the competition. Nice job picking up Charlie Lindgren, who we're going to get to later on the show. Nice job picking up Michael Furland, who we already talked about. He really nailed it with the late picks. I thought I had a couple good picks for like my cheaper guys I picked up Derek Grant who had an assist I think I, th- I was pretty proud of myself for that but I also had John Tavares who did nothing it was very frustrating and of course I had Anders Lee to go with him so the pair of them did nothing oh I also had Nick Letty wow I really went hard on the Islanders versus Edmonton and Edmonton beat them 2-1 I'm sure people are so interested to hear the story of how <laughs> I lost my FanDuel League anyways it's a lot of fun to play in our listener league as it is to play anytime on FanDuel so if you want to join us for this Tuesday's contest just go to FanDuel.com slash Carl K-A-R-L and around monday night around seven o'clock the contest will open for the tuesday games and you'll have a chance to beat me and have me whine about how you beat me on next week's show
1: yeah join me in beating elon it's a lot of fun and uh it's worth it just to be able to say i think we should invite everyone on the podcast who beats you elon to say i beat elon make a little audio montage it'll be too long actually to fit in the show uh but there's also a special offer by the way, if that's not enough, if the fun of the weekly contest isn't enough, uh, new users on FanDuel get free entry into the NHL breakaway with thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out. When you make your first deposit on FanDuel, just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with the promo code Carl with a K. That's FanDuel.com, promo code K-A-R-L, void where prohibited. Void where prohibited.
0: Okay. Injuries time, but like I said, we don't have too many injuries to report. A lot of injuries that we already knew about that turn out to be longer than expected. Ryan Getzlaff had to have surgery as a result of a fractured zygomatic bone, and he'll likely be out for around two months. When the two-month timeline was announced, we had some questions in our Facebook group asking what this means for all of these players on Anaheim, like Raquel and Corey Perry. And Brian, I'm going to give you some credit, even though you've been mean to me this week so far, but you pretty much nailed it on the Facebook group. You said that you didn't expect this injury to affect Ricard Raquel at all, and you were totally right. He had three assists Thursday versus Vancouver. He's on a four-game point streak with seven points in that span. Brian, why were you not worried about Ricard Raquel? I was thinking like, oh, Ricard Raquel's going to have a good year this year. He's going to be on the top line, top power play with Getzlaff. Maybe he doesn't need Getzlaff. Maybe it's good. He's like the top dog. So he's just able to get more ice time and more deployment.
1: Is that what it is? Really great opportunity for a top duck pun that you just walked right past. As for why I wasn't worried about him, someone on Anaheim had to pick up some scoring slack and Raquel is talented enough to be that guy. I wouldn't be higher on him than before. Uh, Getzlaff was injured not thinking that all of a sudden well this is his team and he's going to run the show the challenge of producing without Ryan Getzlaff remains for Ricard Raquel and of course as I've always said when he's been on a point per game pace it's not going to continue Uh, he does have to play with Corey Perry and Derek Grant which is going to make that task even more difficult than usual
0: Oh, throwing some shade at Corey Perry and Derek Grant. By the way, Brian, when you say like, I totally missed this pun of top duck. No, I did not miss it. Trust me. (laughs) I'm not very concerned about having missed this stupid pun. Okay. I don't even know what that refers to. Is that like a, what is that a reference to? Some song that you like from the
1: nineties? No, it's just, a. it's like a very basic, like it's, dog is an animal so you just swap out the animal in the idiom to be more relevant (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah i I can't believe i missed that okay uh i thought i thought you're saying i'm the mean one to you i'm getting a lot of hostility attributed to anything i say tonight
0: i feel like it's a cycle it's like one of us is mean to the other and then the other (laughs) one has to respond and next thing you know we have to have a divorce and split the podcast 50 50 i'll go the first sunday of the month and the third sunday you'll go second and fourth (laughs) we'll make it work we'll bring you content guys way anyways the person who really should be mad at you is Derek Grant because you just said that it'll be so hard for Raquel to keep up his per game pace playing with him so far it's been going pretty well he's up to uh three goals and six assists in his last 10 games this is after he started the year pointless in six games so Brian I'm gonna be doing this a lot this episode but here we go who's Derek Grant like why is he on the top line on Anaheim is there any chance he can keep this up and like, who would you take between Derek Grant and Michael Furland for a streamer for the next couple of weeks? And then uh, actually then we could put that person against the winner of Debrinket Pugliarvi. And you said Debrinket, So Grant versus Furland versus Debrinket. Who are you liking? And if you like Debrinket, I still want to know Grant
1: versus Furland. Oh my gosh so many questions okay first who is Derek Grant he's an AHL journeyman essentially before joining Anaheim as a very minor signing this past summer Derek Grant had amassed seven points in 86 NHL games over five years with four different organizations and of course he played much more often in the AHL Uh, 99 goals 82 assists for 181 points but that's in 315 games played. Uh, We've never really seen him in a top-line role, so I can't say for sure if he's going to be able to keep up this production. And as you can probably imagine, my guess is going to be that no, he can't keep it up considering he's never even really played this kind of role or produced this well in his minor league career. So it'd be really interesting if he were just to be able to turn it on right now and be someone who's worthy of that top-line spot and make it work. I would have him at the bottom of the Furland and Dabrinkit, pile, and I think I have it up at the top. But it's hard because we, we know where Furland's going to be in the lineup. And debrinkit is really, like, seems like things are in the midst of shuffling. I'd like to see the dust settle on him. But as far as guys who we have a sense of where they'll be for the next week, uh, Furland over Grant.
0: Okay, sure. And then if people have to decide between Furland and Debrinkit, it sounds like a clear sort of ceiling versus floor. Like you could take a swing, maybe Debrinkit has a higher ceiling. The Furland has been like a point per game lately. So I, I would go with Furland. I know a lot of people, we have some patrons. Who we talk to who are like really big on young players who have, I guess, like untested upside. And so I know there's some people who would be listening going, I would totally take De it He could get like hundred-point pace or something. I don't know. Like maybe I'm over-exaggerating what people think. But I have a feeling a lot of people would say bring it over Furland, but give me the steady guy on the top line and top power play with Gajon Monahan for the next week or so. Obviously in a dynasty league, give me it no question about it. And you yeah, ever saying Derek Krant at the bottom, but still he's in a very good spot. So keep your eye on him if you're in a deep league and you need someone and everyone else is taken. Yeah, not not such a bad situation okay uh since we're on anaheim let's mention that john gibson had a concussion scare but will apparently be playing today so i guess he's fine do you think people should be downgrading their projections for gibson now like at this point like Getzlaff, kessler eaves fowler they're all out that's four fifths of their top power play at the end of last season are all not with the team right now that can't be good for the team starting goalie right like this team is not going to win as many games as people hoped
1: Probably not. You're right. They're going to have to score some goals if they want to win games, and their chances of doing that is getting lower with every injury. Also, Randy Carlisle behind the bench. Still don't know. I feel like a couple years later when everybody expected the Ducks to do nothing, and then they did manage to continue being one of the top Western Conference contenders even after moving from Bruce Boudreaux to Randy Carlisle. I'm not sure if Randy Carlisle has been really successful at making adjustments or the team is just motoring on so we'll see if he can adapt with a much lower grade lineup it is not great news for john gibson you should downgrade your wins projections for him but i still think he's a reasonably talented nhl goalie so you can still hope for an above average save percentage maybe by just a smidge and then yeah maybe like one less win per week or two weeks i don't know not a huge downgrade but yeah it'll be more difficult for sure
0: okay yeah and there's still ryan miller also lurking in the shadows and he's been really good as a backup so he's another reason to be concerned about john gibson maybe i'm gonna put him in the Latang territory where it's like someone who's probably gonna be fine but i would see what i could get for him just in case maybe people are expecting him to be worth more than he actually is worth in his circumstance okay let's go to buffalo razzle's wrist line and we talked about him being injured last week but he's been downgraded to week to week now for his upper body injury so now we can officially say he's gonna be gone for a bit right now it's marco scandela that appears to be the new power play one quarterback with eichel kane ocposo o'reilly wow that list of names sounds so good like it sounds like such a good power play that should be scoring so many goals unfortunately buffalo hasn't been scoring a lot lately still scandela has been taking a decent number of shots and has been putting up like three to four blocks per game in a lot of his recent games so seems like he's a decent flyer in a deepish league as a power play one quarterback like, especially if it's in a league where a power play one quarterback is hard to find. Like, Brian, we talked about Michael Delzato earlier on in the episode. Who would you rather have at this point between Scandella and Delzato if they're both in free agency and you're counting, you know, shots
1: and blocks along with points? I will take... Oh, that's a tough one. And I'll tell you why. The thing with Scandella is that Buffalo really has not been far ahead of Chicago in terms of their power play success this year. They ranked 28th in the league, converting at 14%. And they're also low in expected goals, 4 per 60, with the man advantage, ranking 26th in the league, which indicates that, hey, maybe they don't deserve to be converting a whole lot more than they already are. The difference with Buffalo and Chicago is that Buffalo has also been very, very bad at even strength, ranking 30th in the league in expected goals, 4 per 60, at 5 on 5, only ahead of the Colorado Avalanche. So yeah, this isn't like the best power play to be quarterbacking for Scandella or the best team to end up on a top pairing for, uh, but he's worth a flyer just because he is Q being a power play. And look, he has been good for a few shots and a few blocks and a hit here or there as of late, but I definitely wouldn't depend on points coming from him. Maybe you can get one every few games. If only Buffalo had Cody Franson now, man, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'm
0: sure in your head I would be like going nuts about you're the one by the way who used to go nuts about Cody Yeah, Robinson. no, that,
1: that that was a comment about me. That oh. Was okay. not about you.
0: Oh, sorry, everything's about me in my mind. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm uh-huh. sorry. Okay, so between Scandela and Delzado, in the short term, you know what? I'll go Scandela, because the peripherals are there, the time on ice is there, the power play role is there, and while Delzado's not doing anything, you might as well see if Scandela will.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of sad. I felt really smart early on in the season, having predicted Delzato to have a good year. Maybe he still will, but not looking great right now for him or, or anyone on Vancouver, except for Bohorvat. Like I said, that's our one guy we can cling to. I forget, what did you say about Brock Besser? Did you say you were thinking that Brock Besser will bounce back? Or I guess you just said it was going to be like highs and lows, right?
1: Yeah, I said highs and lows, but on the whole 50 point pace is pretty reasonable to expect. Maybe even a little bit above. Hopefully, hopefully we still have him in our joint league. Okay, another injury that we already knew about.
0: But Carey Price is on the IR now, but that doesn't really mean anything. It might have just been done for logistical reasons, could come back any game now. Al Montoya is also now injured on Montreal, but not a big deal because they had another great game from Charlie Lindgren in the 2 1 win over Buffalo yesterday. That puts Lindgren up to a 3 1 record, 964 save percentage in his four games like Brian Charlie Lindgren like who is he is he someone that was expected to be a good goalie uh at some point like will he now be Price's backup and Montoya like going to waivers or something once everyone is healthy because it seems like it would be weird for Montreal who's having so much trouble winning now they're on a nice run it's all because not all because but a lot because of Charlie Lindgren so what's going on with him is there any chance he could challenge Carey Price that's probably really ridiculous to ask but all the other questions are legit
1: Yeah, that is ridiculous. For anyone who loves this Scandinavian goalie prospects, you better find someone else because Charlie Lindgren is American and he bears no relation to the former Orler and Islander, Mats Lindgren. Uh, He was the NCAA goaltender of the year in his final college season with St. Cloud State, one of my favorite states in 2015-16. He's now 23 years old. He was undrafted and he's a 956 goalie over seven NHL appearances so far, which is far better than his AHL mark of about 9.10 in 57 games played. Honestly, I'm kind of into Lindgren as a guy to own for as long as Price is out. You know, I think there's a chance he proves to be a better option than Al Montoya as second behind Carey Price. Montoya has a sub 9.10 career mark and has often been worse, including so far this year with an 8.63 in four appearances. I don't know how the Habs prefer to see Lindgren's development go. I suppose if they really think he needs to keep getting reps in, uh, maybe he goes back down instead of backing up Price. But obviously, it sure seems right now as though Lindgren gives Montreal a better chance to win on the nights that they want to give Carey Price off. Oh, and by the way, Elon, the Habs have won seven of their last 10. How bad do you think they are now?
0: I know, Brian, you're a brilliant genius. And I'm a stupid idiot. Even though I, I don't know, I didn't disagree with you that much. Maybe I did. I guess I you did. Are, okay.
1: Wait, you were vehement for weeks on end about how terrible they are, and maybe they're not this good either. But you have to think if they can win with Charlie Lindgren behind them, they can win with Carey Price. Carey Price will not cost them several of those seven out of ten wins, right? Right. No, I I
0: agree for sure. No, and, and just to, okay, we'll move on. Okay. I, I just said Carey Price wasn't a tier one goalie. I wasn't saying he was like garbage, but okay.
1: Uh, no, but you, your whole argument was predicated on how Montreal is never going to win. Right. So clearly, uh, bro, what do you want from me? Okay, is, is Carey Price a tier one goalie if the Habs win seven out of 10 games? Uh, I mean, I
0: don't know. It's hard to say. Let's see how he serious? does bouncing back. You said you said yourself that you're a little worried about his injuries now and his and his age. So let's see how he so does. when A seven out of,
1: winning seven out of ten gives him fifty-seven wins on the season. You're yeah. not sure if you want the goalie on that team. I would take I I might take Al Montoya if he's going to get fifty of his team's wins.
0: Okay. All right. So let's go on. Let's to, just breeze past it.
1: You're. Uh, what do you want me to say? I, <laughs> you're right. You're smart. Okay. <laughs> Do I know? don't want to hear I'm right. I, I, I don't know what I want to hear. I think yeah. we should move on. You just want to
0: beat me to the ground <laughs> about this. Maybe Charlie Lindgren is the reason. He has a 964 save percentage. Would Montreal be winning all these games if they were getting even 920 save percentage goaltending? Maybe not. I haven't checked to see. I guess I could probably verify that. They only won 2-1 to one yesterday against Buffalo. Maybe another goalie that played normally. Even Carey Price isn't expected for a 964 save percentage, Brian. <laughs> Good point. I'm, thank you. Okay. Ah! I'm
1: exhausted. We're only like halfway done the show. Okay. There's a lot at stake in every single conversation we ever have. We need a break. We need a break. All right. No, but not from the show. <laughs> okay. From what then? I don't know. Are you breaking up with me? I
0: I I don't know. <laughs> we need to talk. Okay. Uh let's go to hot streaks now. We're done with injuries. We're done with injuries Let's go to some players who are getting people excited. Okay, Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they are crazy. They've scored five goals in three straight games. They're playing again today, so we'll see if they can keep that up. But going into today, yeah, like 15 goals. Or like, I think even more in in three straight games, like so good. I'm starting to think, and I'm generally not like this, like Brian, I'm not generally a guy who sits my goalies just because like, even if it's like early in the matchup, but this point I'm kind of thinking you need to sit your goalies if they're playing against Tampa Bay. Like the lightning are too scary. Like you concur. Like I just, I had Jonathan quick earlier on in the week and the lightning blew him up and he's been having a good season. I thought like, why not play Jonathan quick? He's good. LA has been fine horrible decision got destroyed obviously that's just one game but overall just tampa can't stop scoring do you think for now not for the whole rest of the year but for now should we be telling people don't play your goalies against tampa bay
1: yeah and the data backs it up too that they are one of the scariest starts in the league these days the lightning lead the nhl in goals per game they're six hundredths of a goal shy of scoring four times per game on average which is amazing elon just for fun Do you want to try to name any other team in the top five without peeking at my notes? Top five of goals? Goals per game.
0: Uh, I don't know, like Washington? Are they one of them? No. Oh, even including all those amazing uh, big scoring games at the start of the year. Okay. Uh, Man, you are kind of putting me on the spot. Anaheim, Arizona, Boston, Buffalo. Boston? No, not Boston.
1: You know what, you probably, even if you like got to them in the alphabetical order of NHL teams, you might breeze right past them. Toronto, I feel like oh, you yeah. might have guessed. Yeah. The other three in the top five, Ottawa, boring <laughs> team, according to Austin Matthews, Vegas, oh, yeah. and the New York Islanders.
0: How about Islanders that? So, Islanders don't score a lot of goals when I pick their players in daily fantasy.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was rough. I, I went I went heavy on the Islanders that night, too. And it's the reason I only finished 10th.
0: Yeah, uh, like Josh Bailey's gone cold lately. And it's like, like just watch John Tavares. When John Tavares is getting points, you want Josh Bailey. When John Tavares is not getting points, Josh Bailey is useless. So it's like, that team is like, I, I'll bet you all those games where they've scored a lot of goals, John Tavares has had at least one of them. That's my prediction, or at least a point.
1: Oh, yeah, boy. and he's had a few of those games lately, shooting on that super high shooting percentage that will regress. But it's been a lot of fun to watch, especially if you own him.
0: Yeah, man. Well, unless except for those games where he does nothing. But yeah, man. Brian, By the way, six to four for the Devils. Uh, has Corey Crawford been pulled at this point? No. Oh man, people who put in Corey Crawford to try to save their week or going for the extra win at the end of the week are getting destroyed right now. That is a shame. Uh, okay, anyways, We're talking about Tampa Bay. We've already talked about like a ton of these guys on Tampa Bay. Like, no point bringing up Kucherov and Stamkos again. Nemesnikov. Let's give some love to the second line of Braden Point andre palat and yanni gourd whose name i yelled to start the show point hasn't slowed down he's up to 17 points in 17 games like at uh, the beginning of the year where he was on a hot streak and i remember thinking well he's on the top line he's not gonna be able to keep this up so far he has he seems to be really good like he seems to be the kind of guy that can make his own offense that that's my impression anyways so far that's mainly from looking at stats you can let me know if that's correct or not andre palat is actually the straggler on that line lately only 10 points on the year only one assist in his last four games but He's Andre Platt. I'm sure he'll be fine, especially if the rest of these guys are doing well. Then how about Yanni Gourd, who is currently on a five-game point streak. He has 10 points in his last nine games. Here we go again, Brian. Who the heck is Yanni Gourd? Should should he be owned in most leagues for the duration of this round? Like if Yanni Gourd is in free agency right now, do people just have to run and pick him up because he's getting points in every game? You might as well just hold him and see how long this can last. And Brian, overall, like, how would you rank these three line two Tampa Bay guys? Gourd, Point, Palat.
1: All right, so Yanni Gord, Yanni ab- appears to be his full name, uh, undrafted, undersized 25-year-old forward, standing at just five foot nine, who turned full-time pro in the San Jose organization back five years ago in 2012-13, and he'd been a pretty good AHL scorer. This is where a lot of these guys who are undersized and their big clubs don't want to take a risk on them because they're undersized seem to do well. Uh, he never got up to a point-per-game pace in the AHL, but he did get a sniff from time to time. As for his NHL career to date, he played his first big league game with Tampa two years ago and going into this season had nine points in just 22 career games. With the numbers that he has put up now in his last nine games that you cited, uh, I'd say he's worth owning. You might as well go for it. While Tampa's scoring four goals per game, that's a lot of points to go around and hopefully he can keep getting in on them. As for ranking him with his linemates, Point and Palat, if you ask me to choose right now, I'll take Braden Point, then Gord, then Palat. If you're asking me for the rest of the season, I'll take Point, then Palat, then Gord, which is me saying this is a really hot run for him. I don't expect him to be the most talented of the three. And as such, I don't expect him to score more than either of the other two.
0: Okay, that's fair. But yeah, grab him now if you can, or we'll bring up some other guys. Maybe you'll want to know if you should add them. I have, like Yanni Gord versus Michael Furland. Who are you taking, Brian? Michael Furland. Okay, all right. Oh, wow. I I thought you sort of said Yanny Gord. Interesting. Okay, Uh, probably like a coin flip. Who knows? Don't look now, Brian. The New York Rangers are also a team scoring a lot of goals. They're on a six-game winning streak right now. So nice to see Henrik Lundqvist holding up. Though, if you take a look deeper, not all of these starts in this six-game winning streak have been great. It's sort of like three great starts and three below 900 save percentage starts. So typical Henrik Lundqvist numbers from the past couple of years. But hey, six wins is six wins. We've got six players with six or more points during the six game winning streak. And I know I just accidentally said the devil's number (laughs) with the saying six all those times, but I'll just keep going. Uh, (laughs) Shattenkirk, and Jad are two of those players over a point per game during this run. Like, it seems like there's nothing more we can say about them. They've been so amazing. Jad up to 18 points in 18 games on the year. Shattenkirk has 17. They've been great. Unless, Brian, you want to comment on that, like, that's completely unsustainable, which probably it is if they're not going to be point per game for the rest of the season. But clearly, these guys are must-owns. And anyone who didn't draft Zabanajad or, like, let him go really late or didn't grab him off free agency at the start of the year is kicking themselves right now. Let's talk about Pavel Bucinievich, though, who might not be available anymore in your league. But if he is... I'm pretty sure you're going to say to grab him over the Michael Furlands and the Yanni Gourds. He has seven points in his last six, 15 in 18 on the season. Bucinevich has been playing on line one with Kreider and Zabanejad. Do you think he's for real at this point? Like as long as he stays on that top line, should we expect Pavel Bucinevich to keep putting up points in almost every game? I'm curious to know what you're expecting moving forward with him.
1: Yeah, this could be real with Pavel Bucinievich. We saw bursts of it last year, but he wound up in Alavinho's doghouse before we could see a whole lot of it play out. But his numbers to date... This season looked surprisingly sustainable. Uh, He's due some regression in his shooting percentage, but he also could remain a really effective shooter. He's converted 16% of his shots into goals in 59 NHL career games. And if Bucinievic can keep that number, even within striking distance of 15%, that could make him really dreamy. He's added an element to his game this year that he didn't have last year, and that's shooting the puck regularly to illustrate that. Take this, in 41 games last year, only twice did Buciniewicz register four or more shots on goal. In 18 games this year, he's already registered four more shots on goal five times. That's in almost a third of his games. He's having steady ice time too, and that's helping him get those numbers, avoid those zero and one shot goal games. In fact, he has at least one shot in all 18 games played so far. So he's a guy who's averaging over two shots per game. And if he's taking four or five semi-regularly, and he also shoots near 15%, that's what makes him potentially dreamy. Throw some good deployment in with that. And you have somebody that is a must-own that's pretty funny. You're throwing that D-word
0: around quite liberally for Pavel Bucinevich. You are into him. Like I said, there are six guys who have been over a point per game during this run. So we've named Zibanejad, uh Shattenkirk, Bucinevich. How about Ryan McDonough? Seven assists in his last six games, two power play assists. Is this just a function of the Rangers scoring a lot lately? Like, are we still feeling confident with our projection of him as like a 30 to 35 point guy? That's what we kind of expected going into the year. He was like a 40 point guy last year. But we said with Shattenkirk coming back, there's no way that Ryan McDonough will be able to do as well. But he's really... High Lately, and I'll throw another player at you, Brian. Maybe you could talk about them both at the same time. Michael Grabner, this guy can't stop scoring. He has seven goals in his last eight games. He's playing on a line with Boo Nieves and Jesper Fast. So I feel like this can't
1: last, right? I always thought it was Boo Neves. Okay, Boo Neves. Anyway, yeah, no, who knows? Boo, all that matters, we could just call him Boo. Uh, Ryan McDonough, you're asking about him. So I was looking at like the last run to see if he had a bunch of secondary points. that helped him get all those points recently and no he was in on a reasonable chunk of those goals as either the goal scorer or the primary assist so that's good news for him but uh, before this run he had five points in 12 games and that is more close or closer some would say to the full season pace that i would peg him at and then michael grabner loves to do this every so often the seven goals he's scored of course have come on 27 shots so that's like a 27 and a half percent shooting percentage and he'll probably maintain a number half as high so don't expect him to keep doing this but it is exciting he had an eight shot game he's good for these explosions he's been good for them in every nhl city he's been in but it's never sustained long enough to be someone to keep on your roster for a whole year at least not in recent memory
0: Okay, and then I'm going to refrain from bragging about my Rick Nash predictions this week. I've done that enough. So we could go to Minnesota now. Okay, early last week, I lost... a fab tiebreaker so in Thick a Cupful, how it works is we have these fab auctions every day you could bid how much money you want on available free agents if there's a tie the tie goes to the player lower in the standing so of course i lose all of my tiebreakers because i'm in first place even though i'm losing this week i'm gonna fall out of first place no one cares all that to say i lost a tiebreaker on a bid for jason zucker and i'm really bummed about it because at the time i didn't think much of it but then he went on to score six goals in his last three games oh my gosh He also had an assist in the game before that. He's clearly clicking on his line with Stahl and Niederreiter. We've seen Zucker go on hot runs like this before. Brian, would you say it's sell high time for you on Jason Zucker,
1: considering he has six goals in his last three games? Or do you think that this production can be somewhat sustainable? So he has six goals on 15 shots, which, yes, I am going to poo-poo because that means Zucker has scored on 40%. Okay. Anyone who scores
0: six goals in three games, I think we could admit that's probably not going to be... He's not going to have a great... He didn't
1: take, like, 60 shots in, in three games. That would have been amazing, but... I'm also going to say the bright side here is that we don't always see in unsustainable shooters that they are taking a lot of shots on goal, and that is what Zuckers managed to do. It wasn't 60 shots on goal, but he has 15 shots over three games. That's great, and that is something he's been known to do somewhat reasonably well over the last couple years. He's usually a guy who hovers around the top of free agency lists and is almost always worth the stream if you need shots on goal help He's usually your best option if he's available. And of course, with those shots comes chance of a goal. So for that reason, did you ask me if I should own him or stream him? I guess, let me ask you this. Would you take him, first of all, above all these other guys we've talked about so
0: far, the Furlands and the DeBrinkets and company? All right. So Jason Zucker's at the top of the list. He's probably not available anymore. I guess my other big question for you is, is it sell high time? Like right now, everyone's probably going crazy about Jason Zucker. He's getting all these goals. Do you just try to now like shop him around and see if you can get a more reliable guy? Or is he like a reliable guy? Like, do you think he could be a solid person in your lineup? Not like, you know, like a 70 point player, but a solid like 55 point say player the rest of the way?
1: He could be a solid depth roster guy that you'll probably be tempted to stream out from time to time. I'm not sure. Like, You can try to sell high, but how high do you think you can sell? If you can convince anyone in your league that Jason Zucker is where someone who's guaranteed 55 points or more, then yeah, you could go ahead and do that. All right, good to know. Uh, on the
0: other side, we have Granlin and Koivu. Those two have not been doing much of anything lately. Looks like Tyler Ennis was the third on their line yesterday. Should we lower our expectations at this point for Mikhail Granlin and Mikko Koivu like, to sub 60 points? I guess like last year, Granlin had like uh, close to 70, I believe, and Koivu was above 60. Right now, Granlin has five points in 11 games. Koivu has eight in 16. Which is the real version of them? Somewhere in the middle, or are these guys maybe not as good? Like Maybe even if they're not as good as last year, are they
1: a lot less good than last year? We knew they overperformed last year. So whether they're less good or not, like their sk- their actual skill level has probably declined a little because of age, uh, but their also production is going to decline a little bit more than that because they overachieved last year. I still expect them to pace themselves better on the power play, which is why I'm optimistic that both Granlund and Koivu will both break out of their half point per game ruts to date. But you could probably cap your hopes around 55 Uh, Higher for Granlin than for Koivu. Although, the way Granlund's going, it's really hard to say if he's going to outpoint Koivu. Both these guys are not players you want to be depending on for 60 points right now. I know I've said uh, over the last couple of weeks that I think Granlund will be okay, and I still think he will be to some extent, but I am growing concerned as this lengthy half point per game situation rolls on. Yeah, I mean, he never was that great before last year when
0: he broke out, so we might just be seeing him going back to what he was before, which is fine, but not exceptional. Okay. Devin Dubnik is showing us all why you don't give up on your goalies who you drafted high. He was having a disastrous season, but out of nowhere, he's put up two shutouts in a row now over Montreal and Philly. So there you go. Devin Dubnik owners who held on. Good for you. Anyone who bought low on him is definitely reaping the rewards right now. Let's go to Washington. The lines are looking weird as per usual. Right now, they've been going Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Devante Smith-Pelly. And then Backstrom with Oshie and a guy named Chandler Stevenson. We mentioned Devante Smith-Pelly on the top line last week. Looks like it's going okay. He's got two points in three games, ten shots in that span. Seems like a decent spot start and like a streamer until he gets bumped from that top line, right? No matter what you think of whether he should be there or how good he is, like on that top line, you're going to get points. Like Kuznetsov is a great disher and Ovechkin is great at scoring. So goals and assists should come for whoever's the third on that line. Brian, you can let me know if you disagree. But also I want to ask you, is there anything at all to Chandler Stevenson? Like, I guess we have to go again. Who the heck is this guy? He scored a goal on Friday versus Pittsburgh. He's actually up to five points in eight games on the season so far. Who is he?
1: That's a really great question. First, let me tell you about Devontae Smith-Pelly. On the top line, you asked if he has value in that spot. Yeah, anyone in that spot would have value on the top line. I'd have thought that he would be bumped by now. And I've seen some Caps fans pleading for him to have been bumped by now. But on that top line, he remains. So uh, yeah, he's in that Furland and Grant group for as long as he does stick there. Chandler Stevenson, probably a depth guy. Probably you don't need to really know too much about He was a third round pick, 77th overall of the Capitals back in 2012, and has played the majority of his career with their AHL affiliate in Hershey. Uh, He's got five points in 21 NHL games, which means before this year, he had no points in 13 NHL games uh, between 2015 and the end of the 2016 17 season. In Hershey, he's not been any remarkable producer, uh, and that's why I think he's probably a depth guy at best. Nobody to get Overly into as a potential ad.
0: Could you be any more lukewarm about Chandler Stevenson? I guess, I guess not. That's fair. Uh, Also, somehow, Lars Eller is on a crazy run with eight points in his last seven games. He's playing on a line with Verana and Tom Wilson, so that can't keep up, right? Easy question. No, can't. Okay. Uh, and then let's give a shout out to John Carlson, who patron Chris has suggested maybe the bounce back player of the year. Six points in his last six games, up to 13 points in 17 games on the season. Far cry from his 30-point year last year. Sorry, 37-point year last year, where he was also bumped from the top. Power play looks like things are going very well for John Carlson. I don't think he's getting bumped this year. So good for him. Good for people who decided to take one last shot on him. Okay, Brian, let's go to Colorado for some hot streaks. Gotta mention that they're finding some new sources of offense with Duchenne out of the picture. Alexander Kerfoot has had three straight multi-point games, seven points in his last four, up to 13 points in 16 games on the season. So I, I know it's like, I'm sounding like a broken record, but Brian, who is Alexander Kerfoot? He's playing on line two with Savannah Andragetto and Neil Yakupov. Is Kerfoot worth adding if he's still available?
1: He was a finalist for the Hobie Baker Award last season in the NCAA when he was playing for Harvard, who also won their division, the ECAC. So had a pretty successful end to his college career. As for what he can do in the bigs, um, still remains to be seen. It looks like maybe a middle six kind of player. Uh, If you want any more background on his pedigree, he was drafted in the fifth round back in 2012. So not somebody with a huge pedigree coming into his draft year. And he's already 23. So he's not a super young guy either, but it is nice to see some production also. And thanks to CSN 1200 for these uh, little tidbits. He had an allergic reaction in Sweden while his phone was broken. He's allergic to peanuts and he had pesto. He's allergic to nuts. I know that's not interesting, but here's what's interesting. His dad is like a billionaire and he has this vacation home in Whistler that has a regulation size NHL rink with 100 seats for spectators to watch. And on top of that, his uncle is in jail in Seattle for drug smuggling.
0: Wow, you really dug deep on Alexander Kerfoot. What was this? You said he had an allergic reaction, but his phone was broken. What does the phone thing have to do with
1: it? Well, like you're in a foreign country and you can't, I, I don't know how like things resolve themselves, but you can't call for help, I guess.
0: Oh, that's a bummer. Or or communicate,
1: man. But he was okay. He played in the, in the series against the Sens. So that's and happy. Yet? And he and did yet? well. He's and on yet? a hot streak.
0: He's having multi-point games every game. So he's looking great right now. Are you streaming him above the uh, Furland? in the Like, you know, you had Zucker. I'm sure Zucker's like more of a reliable guy that you might even be able to keep in your roster for a while. But like, if you're going to take the Furland group, where does Ker- Kerfoot stand with them?
1: Towards the bottom, maybe above Derek Grant.
0: All right. Okay. And uh, let's also mention Sam Gerrard, who's one of the players the Avalanche acquired from Nashville in the big Duchesne deal. Gerard was actually on the top power play with Barry, McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog yesterday. He had an assist in the two games he's played with Colorado so far. Should he be
1: on people's radars? Top power play defensemen are hard to find. Yeah, he should be on people's radars. And we talked about him when he got his brief time with Nashville when Roman Yozy was out as a guy who has some offensive potential. And it looks like the Avalanche are going to play him past nine games and use him. He's not there yet, but he seems on track to do it with the way they're using him. So that could be a really exciting development.
0: Yeah, I mean, I personally, I'd prefer their power play two defenseman Eric Johnson who has quietly been bouncing back from his rough start to start the year points wise he has five assists in his last six games up to 47 shots in 16 games on the year which is great for a defenseman especially someone like Eric Johnson who no one really expects that from he also hits and blocks I think he should be actually owned in most leagues especially bangers and match leagues I think he's falling under the radar because of his like low number of points to start the year but he's doing fine now so his overall numbers don't look great but he's really good lately and he looked like he should have been good all the whole time earlier just he was whatever having bad luck with shooting percentage and IPP and whatever, so take a look at him as well if he's available. Let's go to Winnipeg now, Brian Wheeler and Shifley are just on insane runs, not even worth talking much about them. They have 15 and 13 points, respectively, in their last seven games. That's Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, just insane. But and their line mate, Kyle Connor, is of course joining in on the fun. He has six points in his last seven, up to eight points in 11 games on the season. At this point, how confident are we that Kyle Connor can hold this roster spot once Matthew Perot comes back from injury? The only reason he got called up and got into that spot was because Perot got injured. Perot himself was having a fine start to the year in the top six. What do you do as a Kyle Connor owner right now? Do you try to trade him before he gets bumped back down? I'm talking like in a one year league, or do you just enjoy the ride and hope it lasts?
1: I am a Kyle Connor owner, and I'm going to enjoy the ride and hope it lasts. It's already looking better than last year when he had five points in 20 games with Winnipeg. He didn't play the whole season with them, of course. He went to Manitoba for a bunch of it. And uh, I think it looks as though he should have proven by now that he's capable of holding down a top six role. He seems like a good player for it, too, because they don't really need someone who's absolutely going to drive play. They need someone who can keep up. And have some talent and help put in points. Like someone better than Michael Furlan, say. And he definitely fills that prerequisite with his play so far. I think when Mathieu Perot comes back, he's made a case to be able, and I'm talking about Kyle O'Connor now, to be able to stay where he is now. And Matthew Perot is a guy who was really only there because they didn't have anyone else to put up there. Now the Jets do. And so Matthew Perot can be very helpful in many different places around the lineup. So maybe they use him in that way to help beef up their middle six instead of using him on a top line where that might not be the place where you're getting the most value for him.
0: Yeah. So very exciting right now, Brian, we picked him up We've got a lot of young guys in our joint league and, you know, these aren't keepers, but we're definitely enjoying Kyle Connor. Not really enjoying Brock Besser lately, but Hey, one out of two is not that bad. And hopefully they'll both be doing well moving forward. Uh, Brian, you're going to like this. Steve Mason, your favorite goalie. Well, I guess Eddie Lacks, your favorite goalie. Your second favorite goalie, he's put up two straight, really great starts. And Connor Hellebuck got pulled after letting in five goals in two periods versus Vegas on Friday. Does all of this mean anything? Like, should Hellebuck owners be nervous? Should people be preemptively adding Steve Mason from free agency before it's too late? Or is this just like a random blip and it's still like Mason's the for sure backup who's not reliable and Hellebuck is still going to continue with his great season?
1: So the thing with Steve Mason is that he's put up these great starts, but he's been doing it like every fifth game. So that's not the same as doing it every other game. And Hellebuck, yeah, he has looked human in two of his last three starts, but I still think he gets some rope, even though I do think at the end of the day, Paul Maurice would like more of a timeshare between the two. I would probably stick to Hellebuck if you have him. uh, Like, don't worry about Mason stealing starts imminently, but... If Hellebuck doesn't have decisively good start in his next two or three, uh, then it could be your cue to look at Steve Mason as someone who is about to start playing more regularly. Of course, there's always the risk that when Steve Mason plays more regularly, he plays poorly more regularly, in which case you don't need to be that concerned about him stealing starts from Hellebuck. So maybe you can look to see him playing not every fifth game, but every third game, and then maybe every second game if Hellebuck doesn't play well and Mason continues playing well.
0: OK, so it sounds like if I break that dinners you wouldn't be too nervous right now as a hellabuck owner. What about my second half of the question, though? Like if Steve Mason is in free agency right now, are you jumping on him just in case? Or do you think yeah, I just leave him with the other backups?
1: I think you can probably leave him. It depends how desperate you are. If you're really looking, if you're desperate for a number two goalie, if you don't have one right now, you might as well give it a go. Uh, would make more sense as a number three choice. And yeah, I mean, of course, it depends on who your goalie is are at the moment right now. I would say there's an okay chance that Mason gets to play once every three games and puts up a half decent save percentage most of the time while doing it.
0: Okay. Okay. Not great. Like, I have Jaroslav Halak as my third goalie in one league. Sounds like you're saying I should hold on to Halak. Not that well, I mean Halak that.
1: has been not very good over the last two starts. So maybe I would take Mason. If Halak isn't going to get taken off the wire, too, there are a lot of factors here in trying to figure out if you're going to use a roster spot for Steve Mason.
0: Okay, fair. Uh, so, again, tweet at us. At Kevin Carlson, let us know your situation. We'll try to help you out. Also, you could ask us if you're a patron. You could ask in our Facebook group. You'll get a whole bunch of opinions of what you should do about Steve Mason. People love talking about how Steve Mason looks in his profile photo. So probably if you ask about him, you're going to get some comments about that. Okay, let's check in on Kyle Turris over in Nashville. Not a bad start in his first game. One goal and an assist. Two shots on goal. He was centering line two with Craig Smith and Fiala. So not the best situation, I guess, for him. He's also not on the top power play or at least he wasn't in that first game. Scott Hartnell actually suffered an undisclosed injury sh- three shifts into the game yesterday. And so that was great news, I think, for Victor Arvidsson, who was back on line one in power play one. I'm not sure if he was going to be there anyways, but regardless, Arvidsson is back he had a power play assist yesterday. He's currently on a four-game point streak. Hopefully good times ahead for everyone who has struggled as an Arvidsson owner. Things are, yeah, like I say, looking up, and if he's going to be on the top line, the top power play, that is perfect. That's what we drafted him for. I don't really have any questions really about this whole Nashville situation, like Turris and Hartnell injured, and Arvidson top power play. Like, do you have any takes, or should we just move on?
1: Not really. Only that, well, Hartnell being injured opens up a spot for Arvidson. So the longer he's out, the better Arvidson power play one outlook is. And Turris, I would not expect him to be scoring a point per game with Nashville. Is promising as his early returns were, and as good as he looked, uh, you probably don't want to expect anything above what he was doing with Ottawa.
0: Yeah, sounds reasonable. Okay, let's go to Toronto. Looks like Mike Babcock has decided that Mitch Marner has learned his lesson, and he's now back on the JVR and Bozak line and getting majority power play time. So we're basically back to the deployment that Marner had last year when he had that really good rookie season. Marner had a goal and an assist yesterday versus Boston. He has six points in his last five games. Seems like he's back, right? Or... Is it time to sell high? Like, are there still reasons for people to be concerned about Mitch Marner after that rough start? Or has Babcock used his coaching magic to make him a better player moving forward and now he'll be good
1: again? Let's watch a few more games before really judging that through all of the ups and downs of Mitch Marner. I mean, you've asked me, what does this mean? What does that mean? And I think my answer has stayed pretty constant throughout, which is that he's probably still good for 50 to 55 points, though. Getting this majority power play time, if that can stick, of course, that would really help make him more of a 55 point guy uh, rather than can he just get to 50. So watch for that to continue. Don't count on 60 point pace the rest of the way. Still, it's very exciting to see him back in a good spot and doing well, but I would still not value him terribly differently from the way I've been valuing him since before the season began.
0: Sounds to me like you're saying if you have Mitch Marner, now's the time to trade him to a Leafs fan because he's on this amazing hot streak right now. I'm pretty sure you could get a 60-plus point guy in return for him.
1: Yeah, sure. Go for it. If you can get 60 points for him from a Leafs fan, absolutely.
0: Okay, so here we go again with another player I hadn't heard of that is now in a really good spot on the top line. Another Grant, another Furland. I had heard of Furland, by the way. Okay, Dallas has decided to split up Ben and Sagan as they are wont to do. And now the guy on line one with Jamie Ben and Alex Radulov is Jamel Smith. And by the way, Sagan is with Shore and Yanmark, and Spezza was was with Hansel and Remy Ellie. Anyways, Jamel Smith, he scored a goal on Friday, and he also had two assists three games back versus Buffalo. So, Brian, who is Jamel Smith? And is he worth adding? Like, Smith versus Grant Furland, all, all these guys. Well, like, also, I guess I'd also want to ask you, what about Jamel Smith versus Devin Shore on Dallas, who only has one assist in the last five games, but he's been on the top power play the whole way through, and now it looks like he is going to get an improvement at even strength if he's going to be playing with Tyler Sagan.
1: Jamel Smith joins the other who are these guys as being also a 2012 draft pick and 23 years old. He was drafted in the fourth round back in 2012 by Dallas, and he's been in their AHL organization for most of the last three years. He had a cup of coffee last season, scoring three goals and three assists for six points in 17 games. Uh, This year, three points in seven games so far. He's not anyone I'm getting very excited about. Uh, Devin Shore also. I'm not getting that excited about here's the thing Dallas is converting on the power play at 31% they lead the league in that and that has helped Devin Shore get to five power play points but the fact that he's been able to achieve pretty much nothing else and those five power play points still have not helped make his stat line fantasy relevant means that you can probably forget about him. He would be good like a Michael Furland type stream. If you are behind in special teams points towards the end of the week and you just need a guy who you know is playing on a quality top power play unit, Devin Shore could be your choice. Otherwise, I don't think I'd have him on my roster on a regular basis.
0: So Smith and Shore, just kind of forget about them. Probably won't last.
1: Yeah, definitely not Smith and Shore. Good as a very targeted stream. Okay, so uh, by the way, by the way, Brian, it is seven to five right now for New Jersey over Chicago. I know we're going to get this question,
0: so I might as well just ask you now. Miles Wood now has a hat trick, three goals, and an assist, seven shots on goal. Should people be, I, I know you're not prepared for this, but your gut feeling should people be rushing to grab Miles Wood? I, I know we're going to get the question. Let me take a quick look at the lines for today to see what's been going on with Miles Wood. It looks like he's playing on a line with Zaka and Brian Boyle, so not great at even strength, but obviously he's getting a ton of power play points on what looks like a uh, unit, maybe the second unit. I don't know, Taylor Hall, Heshire, Stafford, and Miles Wood. Hard to tell if that's the first unit or second unit. It looks like Taylor Hall has been playing on a couple units. So maybe they've been switching around the power play. I don't know. Miles Wood having a great game, wasn't doing much beforehand. But we said before that no one on New Jersey is worth owning aside from like shear and Hall and Mary and maybe Butcher. But obviously Miles Wood is someone that's going to be on a lot of people's radars as of now.
1: Yeah, I guess if they're looking at the box score. Otherwise, I think if they wait like a day, He'll be off their radars again he has been averaging less than two shots per game going into tonight's matchup so the fact that he's scored three goals is pretty impressive but it's not going to last it's funny Elon I thought you were going to bring up Jan Ruta as the one everybody wants to know about is a Chicago Blackhawk that might be worth owning he has a goal and two assists three shots tonight and this just wild it was six five at the end of the second it was four1 Chicago. And now they're losing 7-5. Uh, Jan Ruta is not also not someone that you want to go ahead and rush to grab. So awesome. I'll just go out and say uh, I'll be the wet blanket on both Miles Woods and Jan Ruta's great nights. We talked about Ruta. Wasn't, wasn't that like the second show of the season? Yeah, I remember we brought him up. He had a good start to the year. By the way, you're clearly not
0: too high on Miles Wood because you called him Miles Woods. So that shows how much he's on your mind. Uh, By the way, uh, Will Butcher in seven New Jersey goals, he has no goals, no assists, no shots. So disappointing. It's always frustrating when you have a player on a team scoring so many goals and he can't even get like one assist on the day. So Will Butcher owners are probably disappointed. Maybe now's the time to finally ax him.
1: Meanwhile, what do you want to ax him? will Butcher, axe, ask, no, axe. What are you Brian? <laughs> Uh Meanwhile, Andy Green has two points tonight. Someone streamed him in my cupful tier. Good for them. I grabbed Hampus Lindholm. I'm like, oh my god! I guess they wanted Lindholm first, and I ended up with Andy Green. Andy Green, a goal and assists, four shots. Okay, probably enough about this twelve goal game stat line. Yeah, where, I don't, like I don't... we're not coming to any great conclusions from. Oh, well, you came to the conclusion not to add Miles Wood. I feel like that's useful. Maybe we'll update again when there's another goal.
0: Okay. Uh, still on hot streaks, Brian. You asked me to bring up Tanner Pearson earlier in the week. You, every once in a while, Brian just texts me, and it's like, "You're gonna talk about uh, Tanner Pearson? Look, check it. Check him out. He's got some uh, shots and goals lately." So, anyway, uh, that's how I am at That's how I read his text with that voice. I <laughs> know that's not his voice at all. Uh, Pearson had a four-game point streak that was broken versus Tampa on Thursday. But that was a really nice run that he was on and he was taking a lot of shots. Are you liking him over all of these other guys we've been talking about if he's still available in free agency?
1: Yeah, I just like that he had 17 shots in four games and he had six points over that same stretch. Of course, it had been fairly quiet before that and it could be fairly quiet after it. But in the middle of that run, it was definitely worth grabbing. He was getting uh, good ice too. And in the last game, he only had 13 minutes advice when he had no shots on goal and no points that's the one that snapped his scoring streak so i wonder if he bounces back up to 16 or 17 minutes again whether or not he can get at least a few shots on the board just someone to watch he should be on your watch list you take michael furland ahead of uh, tanner pearson that's a tough one. It'd probably be pretty close. I'd probably choose whoever is playing the easier opponent. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you got to take a look. Sometimes with these streaming options, you got to look at the schedule and
0: stream correctly. Look at the, which player is going to give you the most games over the next week or two. Brian, some cold streaks now to close out the show. We've got to talk about these guys on San Jose, Brent Burns and Joe Pavelski. Things have not gotten better for them. We said a few weeks ago, don't worry, things will get better. They have not gotten better. They have seven and eight points respectively in 15 games. We need to look into them. What is going on? Are these still people that we're going to suggest to buy low on and to expect them to bounce back to their point totals from last year? Or is there actually something wrong with Brent Burns and Joe Pavelski? Burns had 76 points last year. Pavelski had 68. Right now, they're both at like half point per game paces. What are you expecting from them moving forward? Like
1: what's going on with them? So I'm going to try and keep this really simple about Brent Burns. Uh, I want to give any panicking Burns owners the short answer right up front, which is that You can hold on to him. I think it's going to be okay. I'm still going to go with that line. Uh, It's lovely to see Brent Burns' shot on goal counts continue taking along at four per game. Uh, He still leads all defensemen in the league in total shots on goal this year. And with that kind of shot volume, if you just give him his career conversion rate, which is a shooting percentage of seven and a half percent, that gives him four or five goals already this year. And everything else looks just as it should at even strength. Uh, except of course his teammate shooting percentage, which is at 1.1%. That's a number that should be eight times as high, seven and a half times if you want to be a little stingier. Uh, but just to add a wrench into things and saying, you know, Burns is going to be okay. There's a lot of reasons why he will be. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to leave anyone feeling too warm and fuzzy. Gotta, gotta throw the wet blanket on everybody when I can. Uh, Brent Burns' power play shot attempt rates are down by a bunch. Now your comfort, going back and forth here, your comfort in that is that this is a team-wide trend for the Sharks. They look to tweak their shooting tendencies on the power play. And so their team shot attempts per 60 minutes has dropped by 20 compared to the last two years. That's a big drop, by the way. Uh, The silver lining, of course, is that Burns is still taking the lion's share of shots for his unit. So even though the unit as a whole is taking fewer brent burns is also taking fewer but he's still taking more than pretty much anyone else on there so again hang in there if you're brent burns owner go get him if you're not a brent burns owner doesn't look like this early season slowdown is a sign of things to come just yet i'm not freaking out that this is the end the very sudden end of elite fantasy producing brent burns okay and what about pavelski
0: just as concerning to me
1: Yeah, so Pavelski's even strength numbers are also looking legitimately just fine. He's also suffering through a low on ice shooting percentage and a low IPP, which should both rebound. His power play production, though, it really has stalled badly. Burns already has four, which is reasonable. Pavelski has just one power play point through 15 games played. Now, I think that's just a hiccup. And my first thought was that maybe Marlowe leaving the team has hurt their top unit. Maybe that's the reason they've had to tweak things and their shots have changed. Uh, remember, they're technically running with three forwards and two defensemen this year instead of four forwards, one defenseman. That second defenseman is Tim Heed, who is being asked to play someone like a forward. That's why I say technically a three, four, two defenseman setup. Uh, but the power play has still been generally successful as a whole. They're converting right around last year's mark. And my hunch is that Pavelski's power play point pace the rest of the way will be much closer to last year's 22 than this year's four so far. And that's like full season taste four based on the one he has scored already. So it
0: sounds like you're saying, uh, like, you know, don't worry too much if you have them. Or I guess you have to worry. I'm sure you already are worrying. Brian can't tell you not to worry if that's how you're feeling. But you're saying, hold on. And if you don't own them, you're still going to suggest for people to try to buy low. Like, I feel like now you could get Brent Burns for pretty cheap. You could probably trade any, like, you know, I think we had a question of Klingberg for Burns in the Facebook group earlier. Seems like you want... Brent Burns but at the same time Klingberg's just cleaning up this year Brent Burns uh not so good but like you say lots of reasons to expect Burns to bounce back it's a tough one these things are tough
1: they are tough especially if you own these players all you can do is hang in Elon we saw Pavelski we've seen trades uh, I think Pavelski for Braden Point was that a trade in one of our cupful divisions there are people losing patience with Pavelski and rightfully so if you think that he's over the hill like Pavelski and Burns are both getting older there could be more age-related decline than we're letting on. Like, we don't know how, f- how well they're going to bounce back, but I am so certain that this is not the new normal for either of them.
0: Yeah, the numbers are suggesting in terms of bad luck, like not enough shots going in, you know, that like they'll do better. We don't know exactly if they're going to get back to how great they were before. Age, it is a real thing. Like, when players get older, after they're like, you know out of their 20s into their 30s and heading into their mid 30s like these guys they're not going to stay great forever so it is something to be concerned about same with like Duncan Keith earlier same with some of these goalies that we get concerned about you know like Carey Price potentially like they're not going to be great forever so it is something to be concerned about but I'm, I'm with you Brian like they will bounce back uh we'll have to see how much and I think it would be kind of interesting now to try to see how cheaply you can get these two players
1: yeah, and just to be clear, I think Brent Burns has bounced back. Maybe not a hundred percent of his production that you'd expect based on the last couple of years. But I still think he's got a good shot at like eighty-five percent of that for starters. Pavelski, okay. I'm a maybe I'd go a little lower, like 75, 80%, if I'm being pessimistic about it. But just to just to give people a sense that we're not just saying they'll bounce back and but like maybe they won't get up to previous heights. They're still both going to get. Pretty close. They're still doing very well. And like I said, Brent Birds, all his rate stats are doing really well. It's just a matter of getting some puck luck.
0: Yeah. And also you have to keep in mind when San Jose does score a power play goal, there's going to be a very good chance that Burns and Pavelski will be in on them. It's not like they're going to be usurped by other people lower in the lineup. This isn't like a Sedin's situation in Vancouver, like Pavelski, like even Joe Thornton, who's kind of slowed down a little bit. He's like around a 50 something point pace this year. Like all these guys, they're the main guys still in San Jose. I don't see them having like a younger line come in and take all their time and take the power play time. Okay. A uh, guy who I think you might agree with me more so that he's a bust this year is Alex Wenberg. Everyone was so into Alex Wenberg going into the year, especially when Columbus traded for Artemi Panera. And I saw things like, oh, Wenberg could be like an under the radar 70 point guy this year playing with Panera and even strength on the power play. So far, like, not going well. He's pointless in six games. Wenberg, he only has nine points in 18 games on the year, so that's just half a point per game. He was dropped in your Tier 1 Sweden division, Brian. This is like, earlier in the week, and no one has added him. These are the smartest people. These are the patrons who have been in the league and, like, consistently won and earned their way into Tier 1, and no one has added Alex Wenberg. So that says something. Obviously, it doesn't help that even when he is getting points, it doesn't help you a lot with shots. So really like you're adding him because you want those assistant power play points. They are not coming. He played with Panarin and Bjorkstrand yesterday, but he's been off the top power play for a while, which is not something I would have expected to happen going into the season. Is Alex Wenberg a snoozer right now? Like if people are holding him, should they drop him for someone more exciting in free agency? You know, like a Zucker, for example, who's getting all these goals. Would you make that swap? Like, I can't imagine you think too highly of him since you haven't added him in Sweden
1: yet. Yeah, he is really close to being a snoozer. And the reason for that is, well, if my eyes don't deceive me, he has not appeared on either the first or second power play unit for Columbus in any of their last three games. And that is a big problem for Alex Wenberg's production. Remember that last season, 25 of his 59 points came with the man advantage. That's 40% of his entire year's total scoring. So if Wenberg doesn't get that power play time, He's going to have to Brendan side his way up to having respectable fantasy production by way of even strength points alone, a task that is made significantly harder when you register just about a shot and a half per game on average. So Wenberg is going to have to create a whole lot and hope that Panarin and Atkinson are ready to cash in. I do think Wenberg's been seeing a little bit of bad luck, but correcting that isn't enough to push him up above, say, 50 points the rest of the way without that power play deployment. And I even wonder if I'm being generous and when also just like when we say a 50 point player who's taking one and a half shots per game I would prefer a 45 point player like if Jason Zucker is on pace for 45 points but he's getting three or four shots per game with some huge outbursts sometimes I'd rather him
0: yeah I I can't disagree Paul is saying in our chat room here Wenberg's been his biggest disappointment it cost him a keeper I mean, none of us really saw this coming if you're, you're asking now if you should hold him in a keeper league for next year Hard to recommend it. Like, hard to recommend someone who's not going to be on the top power play. I guess you got to wait and see. Maybe, you know, uh, Columbus will switch things around once again. Like, Tortorello will put him back on the top power play right now. Not looking like a great own. Once you're off the top power play, you're not someone I generally want to own in fantasy. And this is, like, a really good reason. Like, Rick Nash taking a ton of shots and on the second line. Like, I'm okay with him being off the top power play. But those types of players are few and far between. Okay, Brian, let's end the show where we started it last week, which is in Ottawa. Your favorite place where you live your hometown and the hometown of the team that has a goalie that's been terrible craig anderson what is happening a disaster of a season 895 save percentage in 13 games played so far this is after a 926 save percentage last year It was such a great year anderson really seemed like just a good solid goalie pretty much like single dual handedly with eric carlson took the Sens to the stanley cup conference finals but yeah this year craig anderson is doing badly 36 years old again like age is a thing at some point right do we still have faith that he can bounce back or do we think this might be the end of the road for craig anderson i'll admit i'm a bit worried but i'm also pretty confident that you're gonna say he's gonna do better than this right it's just a matter of how close to last year's production can he get to
1: yeah exactly so he's underperforming below what a replacement level goalie would be expected to save at even strength. Uh, He's underperforming that save percentage by 20 points. That's a big, big gap. And that's mostly due to being an absolute disaster against high danger chances. He's having a really hard time dealing with them. Craig Anderson is just a 674 goalie when facing the most dangerous shots, which is the worst mark of any goalie who's played 10 games or more this year and about 120 points behind the league's starting goalie average, which sits close to about 800 uh, as a safe percentage. Now that should regress in a good way for Craig Anderson. He's not going to stay 674 against high danger chances the whole year. The question is how much is it going to regress back to the mean? The good news for him is that he's going to have time to work it out. He's definitely the number one goalie in Ottawa. And despite the team's warts, They do give him a pretty reasonable opportunity to collect wins when he plays well, so you don't have to worry too much about that end of things. He's going to bounce back. Again, it's just a matter of how far. I'd expect he lands at least at league average with a ceiling higher than 920, but I know, Elon, you're thinking that that extra year of aging is going to keep him probably below 920. At the end of the day, I can't predict the future, right? I think that is a a red flag that you have to look at
0: beyond just looking at, like, the numbers he's put up over the last three years. Like, you have to go, he's a year older. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying, though. Like, you'd have to expect he could at least be league average moving forward. Like, you don't go from being a 920, unless there's some hidden injury that we don't know about. Like, you don't go from being a 926 goalie to a sub 900 goalie all of a sudden. So I'd expect, hopefully, he could be league average and hopefully more, like you're saying, maybe a good time to buy low on Craig Anderson or grab him out of free agency if someone dropped him. I'd expect he's not going to be sub 900. Like, that would be crazy. Elsewhere on Ottawa, it's two games in for Matt Duchesne, zero points, but eight shots on goal yesterday versus Colorado. So I wouldn't be too, too concerned. But Brian, I'm curious to know, in Ottawa, is the Ottawa media like going nuts about how Duchesne was pointless in two games while Kyle Turris got two points yesterday. Are they just all being like, Oh my God, like what have they done? They gave away all these great prospects and draft picks just to swap out to who's not even doing as well as tourists.
1: No, they're not. And would we trust them in being right? Even if they were getting all upset about it for the record in Ottawa, this trade is being adored and loved and thought of as like the only possible way to have proceeded with the whole tourist situation which apparently was a whole situation unbeknownst to everybody moments before the trade was completed Uh, going back to focus on Duchesne though over the course of the two-game series against Colorado that the Sens and Avs played in Sweden Matt Duchesne posted season highs in shots shot attempts scoring chances and high danger chances. So you have to think he's going to continue getting those opportunities to succeed more so than he did in Colorado. Of course, we're going to get a better sense of what he can do once we see him against teams like the Rangers and Penguins when Ottawa plays three games in four nights beginning on Thursday, which is a schedule quirk that most of you should know about uh, if you're in a league where you have a Sen on your roster who might be someone you want to stream out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to re-add for Thursday. They've got a lot of quiet time. To, I guess, adjust for the jet lag and the travel. All right, and let's add a final name to the list of people who I hadn't
0: really heard of going into the season that seem to be somewhat fantasy-relevant right now. Brian, who's this Tom Pyatt guy on Ottawa? He's playing in the bottom six with Peugeot and Nate Thompson, but he has six points in his last eight games, nine and 16 overall on the year for a 46-point pace, which can be relevant if he can keep that up in some deep leagues. And also, really jumps out to me about Tom Pyatt is his 25 blocks. He's leading all forwards in blocks on this season. Is this worth anything to you? as a potential streamer like can we expect a forward to continue putting up blocks like this or is this just an aberration and he'll go back to not blocking and probably also putting up less than a 45 point pace
1: yeah both of those things first off don't expect the points to keep coming like this he had 23 points in 82 games last year so maybe he gets to 30 this year but he does get about a block per game uh which is a nice bonus for anybody who has been streaming pyatt during this time that said that's as much as you can expect from him you shouldn't expect more than a block per game and you also shouldn't expect anything other in his stat line aside from that one block per game you'd have to be in a really deep league to get any value out of Tom Pyatt okay and I know Tom Pyatt was probably the last guy you had to bring up so I have a few that I'd like to bring up before we uh, end the show first off I have a bunch of snoozers although Brian Rust Prove me wrong as I wrote his name down earlier in the week. He had an eight game pointless streak going. So for anyone who's hanging on, big mistake until he then put up a point in two consecutive games. So if you did drop him, maybe you can add him again for the time being. Well, okay, Brian, let's just, since you're bringing him up, I'm just curious to see like what line he's been on. Has he been on? Oh
0: yeah. Brian Russ played with Crosby and Gensel in the last game. So that probably is going to help him get points. Hasn't really helped Sidney Crosby get points, but uh,
1: yeah, uh, good to know. Brian Rust back in the top 6 and putting up points again. It's not what Sidney Crosby can do for Brian Rust. It's what Brian Rust can do for Sidney Crosby. It never Spe- works. Speaking of somebody else who should be benefiting from their amazing even strength line, Jason Pominville has not managed to do that at all. 1 goal, 1 assist for just 2 points in 8 games despite the fact that he's playing most of his even strength time with Evander Kane and Jack Eichel. Of course, the power play deployment isn't quite there, so that's going to be more difficult. But he should be doing better than a quarter of a point per game on a team's top line. Well,
0: actually, Brian, Jason Pominville, obviously the coach also agrees
1: with you that he wasn't producing on
0: the top line, and that's why in the last game he wasn't on the top line. Looks like he was playing with Matt Molson and Johan Larson. So if you're looking at the lines right now for Buffalo, it was Ocposo, O'Reilly, and Pouliot. Benoit Pouliot, did you know he was on Buffalo? He is. yes. And then Jack Eichel, Evander Kane, and Sam Reinhardt. So Sam Reinhardt getting back with Jack Eichel. Uh, back in the day, I was always like, Sam Reinhardt, good sleeper, because he's going to be playing with Jack Eichel. He's there again. Not on the top power play, though. Actually, Evander Kane is on the top power play. And he's usually not there. So interesting to see. Of course, all this is kind of worthless since Buffalo can't seem to score goals right now. But once they start scoring, if these lines stay the same, then yeah, no reason to hold Jason Pominville while he's in the bottom six for sure. And not on the top power play
1: snoozing another guy who's snoozing who might still be on your roster Josh Anderson who is now well I was gonna say bumped out of the top six in Columbus now that Cam Atkinson is back but he is still playing with Nick Foligno which puts him I guess in the top nine their other line mate is Pierre-Luc Dubois Uh, but Anderson is pointless in three his ice time dipped back down below 17 minutes for the first time in a while, he had been seeing like 18, 19 minutes of ice per game. So his deployment looks like it's going south. And for that reason, you can probably let him go. And of course, not just the deployment, but again,
0: pointless in three straight. We should make a sound effect for snoozers. I can't believe we haven't done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Brian, uh, Matthew in the chat room is like, no, Justin Williams. talk every- <laughs> I, We <laughs> talked about him last week. I said, yeah, he's still doing well. Everyone, Justin Williams is still doing well. Brian, do you have more to go
1: here? Yeah, I do. I just didn't know if you were going to comment or not.
0: Uh, Josh Anderson was looking good last week, I thought, as a streamer because Columbus had a good schedule. At this point, yeah, no reason to hold him. Stream, Michael Furland.
1: All right. This should be Michael Furland or the other guy, this whole show. Uh, Brandon Saad, really not doing so hot these days in Chicago. Uh, Just a goal and an assist. For two points in his last 11 games, he has been taking shots on goal, though. Almost three shots per game. So the tide is probably going to turn. So this isn't so much a snoozer, just someone who's been really bad, who probably should be doing a little better. Although it continues tonight, he has nothing on the five goals that the Blackhawks have scored in the game against New Jersey. Two shots on goal. If you're in a shallower league, you can probably swap him out until we start seeing some production from him, which should come. But for the time being... Sorry to his owners. And then finally, I'll end the show on a hot streak. Tori Krug, you're worried about him? Why? He has two goals and seven assists for nine points in his last seven games. And those seven games are a seven-game point streak for him. If he was somehow, somehow dropped in your league and is somehow, somehow available in your league, you need to jump on him right this minute. He is worth your ad.
0: Yeah, Brian, now I feel like you're kind of rubbing it in because we already said this exact same thing last week about Tori Krug. So now all the people who dropped him, Sorry. you're just rubbing salt in the wound. Okay, thanks for that great list of players. Brian, thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Keeping Carlson. It's so fun to be able to do this show Every week, giving you guys the updates and all the players who are doing something in fantasy, the players who we're kind of getting tired of. It's a lot of fun and we only do it because we got you, the listeners, chiming in. So let us know if you like the show. We'd love some feedback. We get a lot of questions on Twitter, which is great. Like it's fun to, you know, get your questions. We answer them, we chat. Hopefully you write back and be like, oh, that was such great advice, thank you. And if it turns out to be bad advice, then we just say void where prohibited and then move on. But yeah, like let us know. What do you think of the show? If you think we could do, be doing things better, we're doing the show for you. If you really like the show, we also wouldn't mind, I mean, if you could be so kind, head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review, help raise the profile of the show. We're not going to ask you to tell a friend. We obviously don't want you to give away your fantasy secrets, but go on iTunes, be anonymous, set your username to, you know, moves like Jagger. And then, you know, uh, give us a five-star review under that name. No one will know. It'll be fine. Also, if you if you really like the show, you could also become a patron of Keeping Carlson. You can pay us like $5 a month or more, depending on what perks you want. You know, buy one of us a beer every month, as I like to say, and you're going to get back a ton of great perks, including a whole extra bonus show every single week. We did a really fun mailbag show last week where we talked about a bunch of like buy lows and sell highs. For some reason, I did a rant about basketball rules. I don't know why I decided that was worth getting into our 30-minute mailbag show, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think it's something you might be interested in. You know, if you sign up to be a patron, you can always cancel it at any time. And you, uh, you know, So just just throw it out there, try it out, listen to a couple of the bonus shows, see if you like it. It's okay, keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you're interested in that. But okay, with that, Brian, let's
1: cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dobber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Tony F, Adam P, Travis L, Oliver D, and Matt C. Welcome aboard. Thank you for your support. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Natural Stat Trick, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax.
0: Great job as always, Brian. I look forward to beating you on Tuesday first of all in our weekly FanDuel contest and again people can join at keepingcarlson.com slash FanDuel or fanduel.com slash Carl. Your choice goes to the same place. Anyways, great show Brian. We'll talk to you on Thursday for the Mailbag Show and then next Sunday for our next regular show. Until then
1: keep on keeping Carlson.